0: Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine Podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. In this July 2012 episode of the podcast, our topic is All-American Genealogy, and I've got some great tips, tools, products, and websites for you to help you out. First, we're going to stop by the Genealogy Insider blog and talk with Managing Editor Diane Haddad about what's new in the world of genealogy, including the U.S. 1940 federal census and some revolutionary war resources. And then Diane will be back to celebrate the bicentennial of the War of 1812. In our 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Roots segment, David Frixell is back. He's going to tell us all about a very all-American website, the Daughters of the American Revolution at DAR.org. And then in our Family Tree University Crash Course segment, author Lisa Alzo will give us some tips for searching for those ancestors that immigrated to America from her Family Tree University Immigration Masterclass. And finally, we'll check in at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan, publisher of Family Tree Magazine, who's going to have some great All-American goodies for us. There is a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the Genealogy News with Diane Haddad. We're going to kick off this episode with news from the blogosphere. And here to give us the scoop is the genealogy insider blogger, Diane Haddad. Hi, Diane. Hi, Lisa. Well, Diane, our theme for this episode is all American genealogy. So, have you got anything for us on that topic?
1: Well, the 1940 census, um, more and more states are coming online with searchable indexes. So you can just type in an ancestor's name. For those states, instead of going through the whole uh, process of finding the enumeration districts, so on all the sites that have the census, there are now 34 states that you can search, plus Washington D.C.
0: That's great. Now, give us the rundown again on who, which websites were involved in that, so we know where to look.
1: FamilySearch.org. Um, they have, I think, something like 29 states now. So their their volunteers with the 1940 Census Community Project are doing the fastest job of indexing and those are searchable on familysearch.org as well as their partners in the project which is findmypast.com and archives.com
0: yeah and and so this is a a searchable index we can enter names we don't have to go through the rigmarole of figuring out the enumeration district and it's going to search the records
1: exactly exactly and then ancestry.com and myheritage.com are the other two sites that are creating indexes
0: great and Ancestry is kind of doing its own thing right
1: they are they are um, outsourcing theirs to uh, a firm that specializes in indexing um, I think it's abroad and MyHeritage is also using a firm that specializes in indexing and I don't know you know whether that's in the United States or elsewhere mm-hmm
0: Great. So uh, I know now at the time that we're recording this, uh, you were just blogging the other day about they've added uh, Pennsylvania and Ohio. You must be thrilled.
1: I am. That's where a lot of my family is from, and I was eagerly awaiting that searchable name of X to find out exactly where my grandmother was living in 1940, because I knew it was somewhere in Cincinnati, but I didn't know where, and then soon after that is when she met my grandfather. So I was trying to narrow down where that might have happened.
0: Exactly, exactly. Okay, so the 1940 census, and and of course, you can follow the updates on uh, Diane's Genealogy Insider blog, because... When the new states get announced, you'll find them there. Um, So that's the current stuff. But let's move way back in time to the beginning of all American genealogy, which, of course, is Revolutionary War. Uh, What have you got for us in that era?
1: Yes. Well, we have posted on our blog a collection of different online resources that people can use to trace their Revolutionary War era ancestors, whether they were, you know, actually served in the war or, stayed on the home front, or even maybe they were loyalists who stayed loyal to the British crown. So we have um, links to some of our online articles on familytreemagazine.com that'll tell you how to do this kind of research, and then links to several history and um, genealogy websites that have different databases you can search. One tip that people should um, should pay attention to is to go to the state archives where their revolutionary ancestors served, because state archives have um, often have online indexes such as muster rolls or payroll lists or that kind of thing, where you can just get confirmation of their service and then um, pursue other more detailed records from there.
0: Right, and just a quick Google search of your state name, this put in state archives, and uh, you're probably going to be able to get right to their website and find out how to access those you have a great list of, of resources here i know on uh, see here july 3rd your post is websites for researching revolutionary war genealogy and um, kind of a neat mix everything from the national park service to uh watching a documentary on george washington on pbs to the actual uh revolutionary war veteran indexes um so much available now to be able to uh, move much further back in the family tree.
1: There is, and it's so interesting. It just sheds light on your family history and just your family's involvement in the formation of the country, which is a, a very exciting and tumultuous time.
0: Exactly. Well, for all that all-American genealogy, head to the Genealogy Insider blog, and of course, I'm going to have links to the specific posts that uh, we've been discussing here today at familytreemagazinecom slash podcast, and you'll want to go to the uh, July issue, uh, the July edition of the podcast. We'll have our show notes there for you with all the links. Diane, great as always. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Well, this year, we are celebrating the 200th anniversary of the War of 1812. And Diane Haddad is back to give us some tips on discovering stories of your ancestors who preserved American independence. Hi, Diane. Hi. I was uh, recently up in uh, Canada at a speaking engagement, and the War of 1812 Bicentennial, of course, was a really hot topic up there. It is. I've been noticing it's not as well known or celebrated here in the U.S., so I was thinking... Maybe you could start us off just with some background on what the significance of that war was. Sure.
1: Um, The war, there had been tensions building up with Britain since the Revolution. Um, Part of the problem was that the um, British would impress American um, mariners from American ships and force them to serve on British ships. So, of course, we weren't happy about that. (laughs) Right. And then um, they were also, Britain still had territory in the Northwest, um, which was then like Ohio and Indiana, and they were um Americans felt that they were causing tension between the um frontier Indians and the American settlers who wanted to move into those areas so nice. and then it's interesting you mentioned Canada, the war is a bigger deal there. And Americans actually were looking at trying to invade Canada and acquire that territory too. So the Canadians really galvanized and um, kind of defended themselves and repelled their southern invaders.
0: Exactly. It was a a big war of protection for them, Mm -hmm. very significant for them. Now, I know a lot of people who are listening may be unsure as to whether or not they have ancestors that served in the War of 1812. Can you tell us a little bit about the records that are available to us so that we can try to learn more about that?
1: Sure. There are um, some indexes online on sites such as Ancestry.com and Fold3.com that people can search. Um, There are indexes to service records. And indexes to um, bounty land warrants which some soldiers received as payment and these can help you um, figure out whether your ancestor did serve and then to find the actual records in most cases you would need to write the National Archives for the service and the pension records. Bounty land warrants um, because a lot of soldiers didn't actually receive the warrants themselves they would pass them on to somebody else that person that they passed it on to would be the one who is listed as the patent holder on that land.
0: And then there, of course, are pensions, but there's a few things we need to know about the particular pension files on this war. Tell us about that.
1: Right. The law that granted, um, that made of 1812 veterans eligible for pensions wasn't actually passed until 1871. So you can imagine wow. that a lot of soldiers would have died by then and not been able to apply for themselves. So it is possible that a surviving widow might have applied for a pension. So um, people would want to look for the widow's name as the applicant.
0: Yeah, that, that could really save a lot of headache.
1: <laughs> right. If you
0: know when that gets established because... I imagine the pool is much smaller when it comes to pension records for the War of 1812.
1: Right. And those records actually are being digitized. um, Oh, terrific. Yeah, by a project of the Federation of Genealogical Societies called Preserve the Pensions, and they're raising Mm -hmm. funds. And then Fold 3 is doing the digitizing, and the um, the records will be searchable for free. So there's a very small percentage of those pension records on Fold 3 right now that people can go look at.
0: And then, of course, we always need to turn just to, to our state archives. Tell us what they may have in store for
1: us. A lot of states kept um, things like payroll cards or muster cards. The states may also have indexes to um, soldiers from those states who served, people who um, enlisted in those states. So, your state archives is a really good place to start.
0: And I noticed, as I, in fact, I was looking through um, David Allen Lambert's article that is in the august issue of the magazine it's called star spangled genealogy and he has some great breakout boxes here with websites what are some of the websites you know we love to kind of just hit the ground running by going online and seeing what's available um, what do you recommend
1: Well, Cindy's list is always a great place to go, and she has a War of 1812 page that links to different um, collections at state archives and different organizations that can help with your War of 1812 research. The War of 1812 Bicentennial Network is one that's on Facebook, it's Navy 1812, and they are keeping track of some of the different events that are going on to observe the commemoration. Um, State Archives often have links to uh, rosters or databases such as the Ohio State Archives. Um, They have a War of 1812 roster. I think New York, the New York State Archives, I think also has some similar resources and the Missouri State Archives also has some soldiers' records online. And of course, um, definitely go to the National Archives. And if you look in their military records section, they have a whole section on the War of 1812 with information on the different record groups they have covering that war.
0: So lots of good things to dig dig into there. And of course, uh, if one of our listeners descends from a War of 1812 service member, you might even be eligible to join a lineage society. So Boy, turn to this article. It's by David Ellen Lambert. Uh, It's called Star Spangled Genealogy. This is really packed with great information, particularly Mm -hmm. on a war that we may not be quite as familiar with. But there's a lot of records out there. And from what you said with the digitization projects, there's going to be a lot more online. So that's even better news. We're
1: excited to see it.
0: Excellent. Oh, thanks so much for uh, joining us and giving us a, a great overview of the War of
1: 1812. You're welcome.
0: Welcome to All-American Genealogy, one of the top websites that comes to mind from our 101 Best Websites list for tracing your family history is the Daughters of the American Revolution website. And here to tell us all about it is our own 101 Best Websites guru, David Frixell. Hi, David. Hello. Well, the DAR, it certainly comes to mind when we think about uh, American genealogy, and I'm sitting here looking at the site right now. Tell us, why should we make the visit there to DAR.org?
2: Well, they've added this thing called uh, the genealogical research system, and it's useful even if you don't think you have patriot ancestors. I mean, I was playing around with it the other day and found that you can find people just who happened to, for example, have married people who were used by somebody else to get membership to the DAR. So the Descendants database, which is the biggest part of the uh, the system here, it has more than 7.1 million names. So you know, that's a pretty significant portion of the uh, you know, U.S. population. So it's not just, you think of it as, you know, little ladies um, and, uh, you know, they're sitting around having tea and talking about their ancestry. And it's a little bit more than that. And the site is certainly much more exciting than that.
0: Oh, certainly. I mean, I know I've spoken at uh, D.A.R. chapters and boy, they're all over it. They're <laughs> they're definitely into the history and the genealogy. And when we get to this um, D.A.R.org website, we see a lot of big capitalized words. We hit genealogy. And um, I can see here, you're right. It's really expanded. So what you're telling us is that we don't have to know if we happen to have a uh, Revolutionary War ancestor because we may have somebody who was connected in through marriage or some other way, and this is still of value to us.
2: What, what makes this site great is that they have put on it not just the information about the, the Patriots themselves. It used to be you could uh, email them and they would look up a Patriot ancestor and see if yes, they really served. And it's so much more than that now because what they've done is they've put on all the family trees, in effect, uh, with details of people that uh, used these patriot ancestors to qualify for DAR membership. So there are really three main parts of the of this part of the site. Um, you can search for ancestors. That would be the you know the person who served in the Revolutionary War or in you know, was in the Continental Congress. So there's various ways that you wouldn't have to be a soldier. But basically, there's that's the ancestor. You can search for a member, which would be the person who joined the D.A.R. based on some patriot ancestor, however many generations ago. Or then there's the descendant search, uh, which where you can search for people in between. Essentially, um, people either uh, you know immediately a- descendants from the patriot ancestor. Or rather, more recent um, people, because uh, they've the timeline, if you will, of generations goes all the way in between.
0: Right now, when we get to the website, you know, we see the search box, but I'm guessing you're not talking about the search box for searching. You're talking about over here on the left, online library catalog. Am I right on that?
2: It's uh, from you have to go to the genealogical research system. Mm-hmm. It's called, and the library catalog is sort of adjacent. Uh, um, to that um but and they they frankly they've hidden it just a little bit um so it's not necessarily the easiest thing um to go uh but it, it's specifically the d a r genealogical research um, system
0: I see so over here on the right, you're right it's i I don't see it obviously in the menu they tucked it on the right hand side, so it's called the g r s
2: now, the Got library it. catalog, since you mentioned it, is another good place to search. And then yeah. there you can uh, find your ancestor in their, you know, massive genealogical library. But this genealogical research system is pretty easy to overlook. And once you get there, then you'll see you have the options for ancestor, member, um, or descendant.
0: Oh, you're absolutely right. And there we also see the tab for the library catalog. Okay, so when we get there, you're going to notice the, the uh, menu across the top and down the left, but really you're looking for this GRS link over here on the right. And boy, that does open up a whole other world of uh, research here.
2: Probably the, the best place to start, unless you already know you've got a patriot ancestor, mm-hmm. you're just sort of playing around with it. Um, if you click on the descendants tab, and you'll see a very basic search, you know, last name, first name, state of birth and then how you want it sorted or grouped. And so throw in the names of some of your ancestors and see if they pop up, because suddenly if they do, you'll find not only information about them, um, including typically birth dates and that sort of thing, but uh, also their family tree in one direction or another. And then from there, it's easy, once you've got a hit, it's easy to navigate to the particular patriot ancestor. And then from there you can see not only your line, but everybody connected to this Patriot Ancestor, which might be even other, you know, uh, relatives. So, because they're really these three interlocked databases and they're all interconnected, um, it's easy to just sort of explore and kick around in it. And if you do find um, somebody, you can order now online the sort of basic thing of what they call a record copy, which is uh, here's the application for membership that used your uh, shared ancestor. And if that seems promising, then you can still the old fashioned way um, order copies of all the documentation. The documentation could include things like family bible pages, um, you know, old census and birth records and that sort of thing. Whatever that person had to produce in order to prove, because the DAR is pretty picky. They're not just letting anybody walk through the door here. Mm-hmm. So it's whatever that person produced to prove that indeed not just their guy, uh, you know, was, you know, Corporal So-and-So in the Revolution, but that they are related to them. So you can piggyback, in effect, on that research. And it's better than a lot of, like, pedigrees charts that you find online, because you know at least somebody has had to prove something here to the DAR satisfaction, or it wouldn't be here in the first place.
0: Well, see, now you're hitting on the really key point. I think the thing that makes this website shine is that you're talking about sources that have been cited and of course when we get into other family trees online uh, that's pretty iffy whether or not it's it's cited sources but these are not only cited they're verified so that seems like well worth the time and i'm noticing in addition to the simple search you mentioned there's an advanced search you can put in uh the last name of a spouse uh, the state where they where the spouse was born that kind of thing so you can even expand it further This is pretty cool. I am so glad that you have uh, reintroduced us to the DAR website. Uh, You'll find it at DAR.org. We'll have a link in the show notes for you. And uh, looking forward to talking to you next month because we're going to talk mobile apps, Dave.
2: Thanks so much.
0: When it comes to American genealogy, which is our theme for this episode, your research is going to inevitably lead you back to immigrant ancestors. And in today's Family Tree University Crash Course segment, I've invited Lisa Alzo back to the show to give us some tips on researching our immigrant ancestors. And these come from her Immigration Masterclass, which is offered through Family Tree University. Welcome back to the show, Lisa.
3: Thanks, Lisa. I'm glad to be
0: back. Well, you are certainly the expert on this topic. I know that you have just returned from your own um, immigration
3: investigation trip.
0: Tell us where you went.
3: I went to Slovakia. All four of my grandparents uh, came from Slovakia. They immigrated to America. Uh, and uh, of course, it was uh, Austria-Hungary at the time and and also Czechoslovakia. But uh, the The main country was Slovakia, and I got to go see all four. I got to go see the ancestral villages, so it was really great.
0: Oh my gosh, it sounds fantastic! And of course, in this episode, as I said, we we're talking about all American genealogy, but of course, that always leads us back eventually to immigrant ancestors. And of course, I can imagine everybody listening is thinking, "Oh, I would love to make the trip uh, overseas to go visit the ancestral village," but it gets to be kind of a daunting task. When you realize, oh, I think I'm ready to make that leap over the pond, where do you recommend that people start when they're kind of getting ready to make that leap?
3: Well, what I recommend, and, and this is what we cover in the course, uh, if if you're not familiar with the masterclass, there are three parts to it, basically. So the first one is how to find immigrants. The second part is how to actually find your ancestral village, because you need to know which village and, and where it is before you can actually go visit it. And then once you get over there, how to do research and, and, and deal with foreign records. And so in the beginning, you know, you really have to start at home. You have to start on this side of the ocean and work backwards. And and many people when they're starting out are, are so anxious to get across the pond that they skip all of the crucial records that will give them those key pieces of information. So the immigrant's original name and hometown. And so that's, uh, you know, th- that's what, what I recommend is you, you need to really exhaust every possible record that you can get your hands on in North America first before you even think about uh, making the jump across the pond. Exactly. So we're talking immigration and naturalization
0: records, Uh, Give us kind of a a quick list of what are some of those records we're going to find here in the States that are going to have that that detail that we need.
3: Right. So first you want to start at home. So if you have... Uh, Any access, if you've inherited any documents or if you can get them from your parents or grandparents or relatives, uh, you want to start asking questions. Are there any documents? So any papers, uh, you know, any naturalization papers, any passports, any baptismal certificates, anything that might have the information. And uh, I, I was very fortunate when I started doing this over 20 years ago that my my mother kept my grandparents baptismal certificates and passports and wow. so I did have the ancestral village but you know not everybody's that lucky so you know y- you'll you know you'll start with your basic records you know your your census records will give you sort of a sense a sense of place they may they won't give a specific town uh, usually they'll usually just give a country but some some census records give the year of immigration and that will lead you maybe to a passenger list uh, if the immigrant was Naturalized. You can get the declaration of intent or the petition, which is likely to have the ancestral village name. Also, uh, of course, one of the hot topics in genealogy right now is the Social Security Death Index, which can get you the SS5, the Social Security application, which generally lists uh, an immigrant's place of birth. And so and then, of course, there's your, your vital records and the list goes on and on. Right. Now, I know for,
0: for my great grandparents, I found that village name on the immigration and naturalization, that petition for naturalization and citizenship. Um, we get that at the county level. Is that right?
3: Most of the time, yes, especially before 1906. After 1906, it became a fe- under the federal jurisdiction. So you may have to look in different places, it, it, uh, but generally before 1906, it was at the local level. So you, you, know, you can start, start with your county courthouse. Uh, sometimes records, depending on the state, might be kept in a state archive. Sometimes you can find indexes like at Family Search or uh, some uh, local library where your ancestors uh, may have settled, may have indexes. For example, my ancestors naturalized in Pittsburgh, and the Carnegie Library of Pittsburgh has a naturalization index, and then you can go down to the, the office downtown to, to, re- to request the paper. So it varies from state to state, but generally 1906 is the magic year. So if you're going before 1906, it's generally at the local level. After there's a through the United States Citizenship and Immigration Service, there's a, a genealogy a program that for a fee, you can request uh, uh, records uh, after 1906 from from them. Yeah, it
0: takes a while, but I think it's worth it. I, I got a pretty good, a big packet that way. So um, sounds great. Now, There are um, so many different types of records. And I know in the masterclass, you kind of walk them through in that logical thing. We're still starting with the most recent and kind of working our way back. What happens when we get the passenger list and, and now we have the name of a village? Gosh, where do you set foot on the foreign soil? What do you do from that point?
3: What I usually recommend is the first thing you want to do is get some good maps and and gazetteers, and you can find some some good uh, maps on you know online if you just use Google or even if you use Google Earth. Sometimes you can you can even locate an ancestral village uh, and, and see where it is. Uh, also, uh, if if you're if you aren't familiar with the Family Search Wiki, it's a free resource and it, it's by country, and you can you can uh look at at a particular country and if they have uh maps or gazetteers or resources for that particular country you can get the uh, microfilm numbers. so you can go to your local family search center and and order maybe gazetteers on microfilm uh there are plenty of books uh that you can get going to a bigger local library you know they may have some great atlases or maps but you want to make sure that you're getting uh, both historical maps when your ancestor may have lived there or immigrated and current maps because borders often change uh, have changed through the years and and so uh, what's in one country today may have been a different place uh, back when your ancestors came so you need to familiarize yourself with historical and current geography, and that's what the class uh, will help you sort out. I I give specific resources. Uh, There's a course library that gives tons of websites and tons of printed resources that you can use to to do this type of work.
0: And that is so key, and I think you can't emphasize enough, is sometimes people want to kind of race over that step. But really understanding the geography and the way the borders change so much more than we ever experience here in the US, you could find yourself literally combing through the uh, baptismal records in the wrong town. I know in one town um, that my great grandmother came from, there must have been six of those towns with that name in Germany. And of course, those borders kept changing. So the maps are really key, aren't they?
3: That's correct. Absolutely
0: and maps within the context of a time frame. Gosh, so much to cover. So, bottom line, when we take your immigration masterclass, what are the takeaways? Where where do you think the student will be when they finish up that class?
3: Well, what I like what I what I like to see and what I enjoy hearing is when people finish it they say, "Oh, you know, I've, I've, I I with with your tools or with your help with your tips, I was able to actually Pinpoint, you know, find my ancestor that I'm missing, and or they'll they'll say, well, you know, I have brick walls, but I have more tools here and more resources to, to you know, I didn't think of that that particular you know art you know archival resource or that uh, particular tip. Uh, I I do a lot with uh, using Steve Morris's fabulous website to mm-hmm. to track immigrant ants, you know, to find uh, immigration records uh, because we know that indexes and transcriptions are are not always perfect and, and a lot of pro- times when we're searching especially in in online databases tr- you know spelling uh, name issues are a big problem so I give a lot of my my secrets and tips on on how to to, to track an ancestor that may be eluding you so uh, there, there's there's just plenty of things to learn plenty of tips uh you know and then how once you do get over there uh, I do give tips for planning a, a trip I give tips on, you know, how to write to archives and once you've located the the ancestral village and 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 all sorts of other uh, just little little things that I've learned along the way.
0: Exactly. And you've made more than one trip over there, I know, yourself. So yes. you're the person to talk to. And really, this Immigration Masterclass, what I say is that it's going to pay off over and over again because you may have one relative right now, one ancestor that you've identified that you want to do this immigration research on. But just think, as you keep working down each line, you're going to run into more and more and more. It just pays off over and over again. I will have information in the show notes for you. There'll be a link with the upcoming classes. Lisa's got this class starting up again later this summer. And so you'll want to get your spot. Lisa, thanks so much. It's it's exciting to hear what's possible and um, that there are really concrete tools that we can use. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show.
3: Thanks for having me, Lisa.
0: Well, as we wrap up this All American July 2012 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, let's check in at the editor's desk with Allison Dolan. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. Okay, we've been talking about uh, U.S. and American genealogy, and I know that you've got a couple of great resources for us.
4: Absolutely. Well, you know, one of the core things that we do in the magazine is American genealogy, and. Um, most recently, we've had an insert at the center of each issue called our Family Tree Magazine City Guides, and we do two cities per issue. And it's basically your quick how-to guide to all the major resources and essential history that you need to know for tracing your ancestors in cities across the country. Um, not focusing just on the biggest cities, but also the most historically important. So those places that are um, immigrant and migrating ancestors um, settled in. As they were, um, you know, going throughout history where there's lots of good records and things to dig into to to try and find them. But it's often a challenge because there's so many people in those urban centers, um, kind of how you pick your ancestor uh, out of all of that crowd.
0: Yeah, there's pros and there's cons. I know um, I put together the San Francisco edition for you, and yes. I had a blast doing it. And I kept stopping and spending hours, you know, researching my own family. And it was just amazing how much more is available um, online, and then how much is still offline. So it was a great exercise. And uh, these are really, really valuable for anybody who's trying to dig into that kind of large metropolis of, of ancestors. Definitely. And then you also have um, state guides, and those were popular those were the precursor to the city guides tell us about those
4: you bet now that was um a series that we ran in family tree magazine a few years ago and it really was the most popular series i think we've ever done in the magazine people just kept asking when's my state gonna happen and um (laughs) did i miss it and then we've even had people asking us are we gonna bring it back well we do have the um All of the guides from that series available on shopfamilytree.com now. Um, There's the individual guides available for download. And then we've also got a book, a hardcover, that includes all of the states from the series, as well as Puerto Rico and Washington, D.C. So that's a real nice hardcover that um, is really great for having on your library shelf. Very handsome. Um, But... Good news for those of you who remember the series and were among those people who are asking, when is it coming back? Well, we're actually working on a new edition of the State Guides right now, and we're going to release that in ebook and CD format in September.
0: Ooh, that's going to be great because, of course, so much more has come online. Um, sometimes links change, sometimes yes. just repositories change in terms of who's holding the collections. So, oh, that's great. So, this is going to be on CD. We can pop that in our computer. Mm-hmm. Will there be individual ones we can still download that are updated?
4: Absolutely. So, as we get those new states finished, we're going to replace the old versions in the store with the new versions in the store. And, like I said, should be sometime around September that that happens.
0: Oh, that's terrific. Okay. Well, there you have it. You've got your cities, you've got your states. It's all American. Allison, thank you so much for uh, giving us the update.
4: Thank you, Lisa.
0: Thanks so much for joining me for this July 2012 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, be sure and visit the Genealogy Insider blog for all the latest genealogy news on a daily basis. You will find that at blog.familytreemagazine.com insider. Next, head over to FamilyTreeMagazine.com slash podcast to find the show notes for this episode, which are going to include information and website links for everything that we covered on today's episode, including the Daughters of the American Revolution website that David Frixell told us about, Lisa Alzo's Immigration Masterclass, and of course, the Shop Family Tree resources that Allison covered. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me at my brand new revamped website at genealogygems.com. There you can listen to my free podcast, the Genealogy Gems podcast, and Family History, Genealogy Made Easy. And both of those shows are also available through iTunes. So until next time, have fun climbing your family tree.